Good morning, everybody. The title of the sermon uh, comes actually as a continuation for me from Roland's lesson last Sunday. And uh, it was great to hear Roland uh, Monhe preach the word and to go through a little bit of Israel's history. Uh, but the thing that impacted me the most is when he made comments on holiness. And he talked about how when you're holy, it's much more than just not sinning. That's part of it. But to be holy carries with the connotation that that you are separate, you are reserved for a very special purpose. And that meant a lot to me because just at that moment in time, you know, you feel like, and I don't know if you can relate, but many times a year... I have to work on my own personal Christian motivation. The theory stays consistent. But I find as a Christian, the theory is not the problem in my life. It's the desire, the passion, and the motivation on the inside. And so at that moment when Roland was talking about holiness and being separate, being set apart for God's special purpose, I started thinking about how that connects to motivation. Uh, Because if you set yourself apart, then you will be motivated because you want to accomplish God's special purpose for your life. So anyway, that's where the sermon comes from. It was my quiet times, my thought process, and so hopefully it helps you. But we're going to start over in Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul, you know, he starts all his letters with these really, really great greetings and grace and peace. And then He praises God in verse 3, and he says he's blessed us in the heavenly realms. And in verse 4, part of that praise to God, he says these words, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You know, not just sin-free, but special, unique, set apart for his treasured purposes. And that before time began, before anything was created, that God saw your life and he said, okay, yes, I want you sinless. But you know what? I have something special for you. And so he set you apart in his mind's eye. He saw that vision of your life. To be blameless and to be holy. And so that was God's created intent for you. It was what you were designed for. That is why he puts you on the earth. That is the answer to why. Before the creation of the world, God saw in his mind your life in one of holiness and one of being blameless. And I started thinking, okay... So what's the practical applications of holiness in our life? First thing I thought of is to be attentive. You know, if you are set apart for a specific purpose, then you are locked in to that purpose. Now, all right, this is going to require a lot of humility from you who are older. Young people will not have a hard time in this. How many people have played Pokemon Go? The young people admitted, the older people... I know some of you have played it. Do you realize in the two and a half weeks that Pokemon Go has existed, it has more followers than Twitter? Nintendo made more than $40 billion from Pokemon Go. You know, I wasn't quite sure what it was, so I I called my resident family expert. I said, Luke, okay... What's the deal with Pokemon Go? And he gave me the full explanation. I'm like, man, that sounds like really cool. So you got to hold up your phone to actually see the character. So it's kind of like animated geocaching. And he goes, yeah, that's kind of a good way to do it. But you can't just be there. You got to see the character. And then you got to throw a ball or something at it to capture the character. I, I haven't played. I think that was the explanation. 
So, you know, I started reading about Pokemon Go, and I came across this story. So on July 14th, in North San Diego County, um, firefighters and law enforcement were called uh, to the beach because a guy playing Pokemon Go, an adult male, I believe in his 40s, walked off a cliff while trying to capture a Pokemon character. He got knocked out, but he's okay. It was about a 75, 80-foot cliff he walked off of. When they showed up to help and rescue the guy, they found another male about 60 feet down the same cliff who had walked over the cliff playing Pokemon Go. It was two separate incidences. Uh, They were able to help both people. Now, I thought for a moment, now that is commitment to Pokemon Go. Now, if you're trying to get a Charizard, you understand the commitment required to get one of those highly prized characters. If you're not into it at all, you look at that focus and you go, how stupid. You walked off a cliff like you were totally absorbed in the game and you didn't even realize what was going on. But if you're into Pokemon Go, you go, I totally get it. I mean, the opportunities are few and far between. And so if I get that opportunity, how could I miss out on it? I've got to be focused. But see, therein lies the issue. It's not our ability to focus. The question is what we're focused on. You know, it's amazing what we have an ability to lock in on while the world's falling down around us. In one situation, and then we go, yeah, but I totally struggle to focus on God. You say, well, so is God unworthy of our focus? Maybe that's the problem. God, God, his word, Christianity, it's just so boring, it's so mundane that, you know, he's not Pokemon Go. He's like Atari 2600. God's just a little black joystick with the orange button. And it's so boring, how can I be captivated? Yeah, that's what the youth camp was about. God's indescribable. God is so amazing. And so the kids come home fired up. Why? Not because somehow God changed at camp. No, their understanding of God changed at camp. Who God was, was the same before even one atom of the universe was created. And so God is out there, and the issue is, is he worthy of our attentiveness? Well, if you're holy, he is. And so in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians that came out of a Jewish background. They were doing terrible spiritually. They were contemplating throwing in the towel. They wanted to go back to just how they used to live. They were discouraged without hope. And so the whole book of Hebrews is written to get them attentive on Jesus all over again. And so, you know, you... you, have this beginning and he's talking about the way God moved and worked and then he goes, but but the crescendo is Jesus. And Jesus is amazing. He goes through different ways. He was was more awesome than Moses. He's more awesome than the angels. It's incredible. And then he says in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. 
Now, the writer of Hebrews knows that one of the keys to Christian motivation is what we're attentive to. And so he does some work to say Jesus is worthy of our attention. He's amazing. He's spectacular. He's superior. You know, in some cases, spiritually, what we're doing, we're walking off the cliff. Because we're immersed in something else. You see, when you see Jesus, you see the big picture. But when we lose sight of Jesus, you know, you could take a step back and go, wait, why are you attentive on that? You're physically walking off cliffs. You're making a mess out of your life. But you're just so locked into whatever it is. The writer of Hebrews says, no, no, no. Holy brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Say, how do you do that? Well, you read his word. You pray about Jesus. You meditate on Jesus. You read books on Jesus. You, you, do, you, you spend more time on Jesus. Because Jesus is not the problem. It's our understanding of who he is that will change the value that we place. So if we're going to be holy, we've got to be attentive. Now, second thing that, that we need to do if we're going to be holy, we, we have to set our hearts on a noble purpose. Go over to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. And, and Paul says this to Timothy. We're going to start in verse 20 and read 20 and 21. He says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble. The man cleanses himself from the latter. He will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now, this whole concept of, of noble and ignoble, uh, not an English major, so I had to go look in the dictionary just to make sure my understanding of ignoble was correct. But if something's ignoble, it's just it's common, it's lowly, it's just kind of plain. There's nothing special about it. It's just kind of average, boring. It's not all that special. To be noble, oh, it's special. It's treasured. It's unique. It's set apart. You know, Paul says, hey, in a house, you get all kinds of things in there. Some are noble, special, prized. Some, they're really not all that valuable. Not worth that much. You know, right now... Um, we're dealing with the fire just east of Santa Clarita. I remember uh, being prepared to evacuate when we lived in Chatsworth. The flames were, had crested the hill. They were coming down the mountain. The police had already gone through the neighborhood. And on the loudspeaker said, very good chance you're going to have to evacuate. Get prepared now because when we tell you evacuate, you need to do it immediately. You know, when you hear those words, you start thinking about what's noble in your house and what is ignoble. You do not fill your car with irrelevant, meaningless items. You do not think, oh, we've got to save the spatula. That's a really awesome spatula. It's, it's so good when you make frosting of, like, scraping the bowl. got to save the spatula. Now, you're thinking things like important documents, ladies, photos, if they're not stored in the cloud. Um, but you quickly realize exactly what's being talked about here. But he's not talking about items. He's talking about purposes. I was thinking about, okay, how, how, how can we understand this more? If, if you've been outside at all over the last day and a half, you know what you see is you see a lot of aircraft flying. 
And yesterday I heard, you know, just this kind of jet engine roaring, so I ran outside because I wanted to see. Uh, one time there was a huge helicopter, and it was refueling at the golf course right next to our house. And so, yeah, I know, I was like a little kid. I ran over there because I wanted to see it. And it's just pretty cool seeing this huge sky crane go down and refuel in the little golf course lake. Well, so there's this big jet engine, and I don't know what kind of aircraft it was, if it was like a DC-10 or whatever, but it was just a huge jumbo jet. And all that thing would do is load up with the, the reddish-orange powder, I think they call it like Foscheck or something like that, but it's a fire uh, retardant, so it slows down the flames. And they just load thousands and thousands of pounds in this, and then they fly it over the flames, you know, or where the flames are going, and they drop it. And you just see that whole orange plume of orange dust fall to the ground, and you're like, yes, fighting the fire. And you just watch it. Now, I don't know, I get inspired. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I thought for a moment, like, what if we had these fires... And they put the call out, and they said, okay, get the jumbo firefighter now. And they call the pilot, and the pilot says, well, we've got a problem. So what's the problem? We need you now. And he says, well, I was having coffee this morning, and this guy at the coffee shop said he needed a ride to San Francisco. So I told him I'd fly him to San Fran. So me and the jumbo jet and all its firefighting capacity, we're up in San Fran now. They're like, yeah, but we need you to fight the fire. Anyone can take the guy to San Fran. Give him a bus ticket. Go to Burbank Airport. Get on Southwest. You know, there's a lot of planes that can get the guy from here to San Fran. But you're the jumbo jet with spectacular firefighting capabilities. You know, if it was unavailable because of that, you'd go, wow, what a waste of possibilities. You see, that is what that Paul's talking about right here when he talks about noble purposes versus ignoble you see, there's just certain things that only God's children can do. And what a shame if in those moments of crisis, in those moments of hardship, God's people are unavailable because we're doing a job that anybody can do. You see, when you're holy, you grasp the concept of your call to a mission that's unique. You know, for a jumbo jet to fly a guy to San Francisco, if he needs to go to San Francisco, it's not bad. It's just an ignoble purpose. Big deal. So what? But saving lives and saving homes, that's important. I want you to think for a moment what the purposes of your life are. You say, do they change lives? Do they save souls? You know, career, money, education, popularity, relaxation. You know, all those things are good. They're not bad. But if that's the purpose, I think the Bible would say, no, nah, that's just it's ignoble. You're, in, you're, you're saving a spatula. you got 24 hours in a day. Use your life for noble purposes. You know, when you think about your personal mission in that way, you realize that there's just things that God has set out for you that are unique 
that no other common person can accomplish. And so holiness is needed to have noble purposes. Say, what else? Well, we need to be available. Go to Romans chapter 12. You ever wanted to do something really important, but you were just unavailable? We all understand that. We have only so many hours in a day. We got to prioritize. What are we going to do? How are we going to get it done? You know, I've got eight days of work to do, but only seven days in the week to accomplish it. Okay, that's normal. And I know, I know, when you're young, you think I'm so busy. And then you get older, and you realize now I'm busier than I was when I thought I was busy. And I don't want to burst any bubbles, but we're empty nesters, and we're busy. There's always things to do. But the concept of availability, look at this in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It says that when you offer yourself, notice the words, offer yourself, that does not mean you're surrounded by a gang of spiritual people and they tie you up and throw you on the altar of sacrifice. No, you offer yourself, when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, it says, holy and pleasing to God. Hey, do you have any boundaries on your availability? Like if God comes knocking on your life? God, I'm available. Okay, here's my parameters, God. Here's my schedule. I will do whatever you want me to do. Here's my open slots this week. Is that a living sacrifice? No, a living sacrifice is where we live each day. Working full-time jobs, raising children, going to school, sports teams, music, all different kinds of things that we live life with all those things, every morning going, God, my life is available for you. What do you want? Where do you want me? You know, yesterday, um, went on a bike ride uh, with Dan Roach and Norm Nicholas, and we knew it was going to be hot, so we left early in the morning. Uh, we're, we're training to ride a century ride uh, on August 20th, and so, you know, you got to log miles. So, we, we rode out between Fillmore and, and Santa Paula, and everything was feeling good. And then on the way back, it just life felt like I was in a hairdryer on the 126. It was hot, and my heart rate just started going through the roof. It was in the 180s and just stayed there. And I thought, okay, I'm working too hard. I need to just back down to easy gears and just go nice and gentle. So I did that, but my heart rate stayed high. And so Norm and Dan being good cycling buddies, they're like, are, are you okay? I'm like, well, no, yes. Like, I'm not going to die, but no, I'm not okay. Drinking water, I had all kinds of electrolytes. Pause in the shade a little bit few more miles down the 126 outside of Chiquita Landfill. I'm like, guys, all right, I got to tap out. Norm, will you call my wife? <laughs> so Norm gets on his phone. Cheryl was available. Jeff Davis was number two on the list, but I didn't have to get to Jeff. Um, but Cheryl came and, and picked me up. You know what? Um, I appreciated being rescued and the cold water that she had and the air conditioning in the car, it was, it was awesome. 
you know what? My mindset was I am totally locked into this ride. You know what my body said? I'm unavailable. I had to focus. I had to desire. But my body said, nope. You know, you can be good-hearted and unavailable at the same time. Rob Skinner preached a bunch of lessons to the men at men's retreat. One, one of my favorite takeaways was a phrase that he used. is called your not-to-do list. Because so often we hear a sermon or we go to a conference or we hear a retreat and all we're thinking of is, okay, here's something else I got to fit in. Here's something else I got to do. Okay, I got to do this and I got to do this. And your heart is good and you want to do that. But you can commit to too much stuff. And so you have committed to 30 hours of commitment for a 24 hour day. Now, let's do the math. 24, that's what you're given, minus 30, negative 6. Follow me? You say, well, how much left over do I have? Now, you got six hours of discouragement, depression, overwhelmed feeling. That's what you have. You say, well, man, I have a bad heart. No, you don't. You go, I'm just not focused. No, you are focused. But you got too much. So you can be good hearted and unavailable. You know, when you're a living sacrifice. You let God determine your availability. So that means you take the 30 hours you've committed to and you go, okay, God, you've only given me 24. So what six do I let go of? Well, now if you're holy and you're thinking about a noble purpose versus ignoble, usually a lot of those things are going to just fall into uh, one or both of those categories and you'll be able to figure out. But you let God drive the car of your life. You push the gas. That's your willingness. That's your availability. All right, God, here we go. But you let him steer the wheel. You know where we get into trouble in our life? Is when we want to drive. We're like, God, okay, tell me where you want me to be, but then I'll take care of getting from here to there. You know, I don't know what you're like in a car. There's usually two types of people. Well, three kinds. There's ones that can only relax if they drive. There's ones who can be a passenger and relax under all circumstances. And then there are those that wish they could drive, but are like number two on the driving totem pole, so they're a passenger. And so they're kind of freaked out and tense and have opinions about the driving being done and can't ever relax during the process. Now, that's just driving in a car. What about our spiritual life? You see, and there, therein lies the challenge with availability. Yeah, but God, if I'm a living sacrifice, then I gotta let you steer. I like to steer. You know, when you're totally consecrated, you can relax. You know how there's certain drivers you can relax with, and then others, you're never quite able to relax because you always feel like you want to push the brake pedal of the floorboards. You know, they stop they stop like a half second later than you would stop. 
Now, they do stop and they're paying attention, but just their mechanics make you a little nervous. They accelerate a little faster. The light can be yellow a little longer and that still looks green. But then there's other drivers that you can just totally relax. You know what? God's a really good driver. But we got to be a living sacrifice if we're going to reach the point where we can go, okay, God. You know, the fact is, He does a better job getting us from here to there than we ever will. But we don't like being sacrificial. Because sacrificial requires sacrifice. It's deep Bible study right there. You know, sometimes we want to live sacrificial Christian lives without having to sacrifice anything. It doesn't work. Like, I'm going to go on a fast. I'm going to give up lima beans for the rest of 2016. I know, I know, God, I I love you too. What is that? Honestly, that's how we want to live sometimes. When we're holy, we're set apart, we're available, our life is a living sacrifice to God. Let's be available. Let's get some things scheduled on the not-to-do list. So we're available to do the noble purposes in life. You know, finally... The last thing we need, we, we need proper obedience. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even uh, be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. You ever been in an improper situation? You know, I I remember once, Cheryl and I, we, we were renting a house in West Hills, and we had these really great older neighbors. They were retired. He'd been like VP of some big chemical company and Lou and Rita and you know they just they they were amazing people they were kind of like a a grandma and a grandpa and you know our kids were little and you know we're living life and all over the place we shared a driveway so you know we knew each other and then our houses forked and you know so we're right next to each other I remember uh, Lou was celebrating a birthday and Rita goes you guys ought to join us we're gonna have some friends over why don't you guys just come on over and celebrate with us so that was how she said it we're like, awesome. You know, so we noticed, uh, you know, as, as the time started, you know, the car started filling up and it was Mercedes and, you know, BMWs and it was all just these spectacular cars. You know, and we're like, wow, you know, uh, this will be awesome. We're going to get to like rub elbows with, you know, high society people. This will be cool. Kid you not, we walk in, formal dinner party, black tie. We're in shorts and T-shirts. So, you know, there's that moment of, oh, happy birthday. Here's our gift. Lou and Rita were pumped that they were there. We're in shorts and T-shirts. They're all, I mean, they are dressed so incredibly. And they're like, I'll sit down and join us. And it was all, you know, all these people. We were the young people. So they're like, oh, yeah, come on in. And we we had a great time. But it was so awkward the entire time. (laughs) Being in shorts and a T-shirt at a black tie event. And so that's kind of a description of improper You know, Paul is about to give a list of things, and he goes, you know what, these, the things on this list, they're improper. 
for God's holy people. They may be proper in a different environment. You know, there's a lot of behavior in the world that is proper. And if we were at a beach, Devo, our attire would have been proper. But at a black tie birthday party, our attire was improper. And so Paul's saying, guys, this is improper. And he, and he starts and he goes, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So what's he say on the list? Sexual immorality. You go, what is sexual immorality? It's any sex outside of the bonds of husband and wife. That's what sexual immorality is. It doesn't matter if it's mutual. It just it doesn't matter. That's how it's defined. It says, or impurity. Impurity could be sexual thoughts. It could be evil thoughts. It could be hateful thoughts. You know what's in this list that affects us? In a significant way, but we don't associate it in the same list. Greed. Greed. So does that mean money? No. Money's neither good nor bad. You can be greedy and have no money. You cannot be greedy and have a lot of money. No, greed is where that's what consumes you. Money and material items and your future and those kind of things. It says greed, it's improper. You're at God's black tie event in shorts and a t-shirt. It just doesn't fit. You go, greed doesn't belong. It says they're improper. He continues on. Nor should there be obscenity. Foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now listen up. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. What kind of words? Words that say, it's okay. Words that say, it's not that improper. It's not that big a deal. Oh, everybody's got issues. No. Paul says, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Who's he writing to? Christians. Therefore, do not be partners with them. A lot of times we read a verse like that and go, yeah, those non-Christian people. They need to really hear this. That is not who he's writing to. It certainly applies to them. He's talked to the church in Ephesus. He says, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul is hard line. And he says God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. You go, wait a second. I thought we're saved by grace. Yeah. We are. You know, holiness is not a process that we attain by working really hard. Holiness is a state that we achieve by grace. We cannot work hard enough to be saved. There's no human effort that can atone for the sins that we've committed. One sin is enough to separate us from God. Holiness is by God's grace. But God expects us to live a certain way. And what the scriptures say here. Holiness does not stay with you if you live a disobedient life. It says God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And brothers and sisters, we need to have a deep conviction about the destructive power of sin. Grace is not a get out of jail free card that gives us a license to live however we want and come to church and feel like it's all better. No, Paul is warning the church. He said God's wrath will come on you if you live a disobedient life. You say, in what ways? Well, we talked about sexual immorality, impurity. You know, the world says you can think whatever you want as long as you don't act on it. No. Impurity of the mind... Is destructive. Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. The heart is the same. And I can tell you, as somebody who's counseled many marriages, impurity of the mind destroys marriages and families. It is a lie of Satan that you can look as long as you don't touch. Greed is destructive. Why? Because we'll walk off spiritual cliffs chasing the treasure. It's improper. So what about drunkenness? Biblically, drunkenness is when your mind is affected by what you've had to drink. So... I got a little buzz working. It's sinful. You go, but I'm not sloppy drunk. Doesn't matter. We got to have a hardline conviction about the destructive power of sin. And let me remind you of what Paul says. Let no one deceive you with empty words. You know, when you're deceived, you don't see that you're being fooled. You're hearing a line of reasoning and you go, well, that sounds good. And God's like, what kind of reasoning is that? Let me remind you of Adam and Eve in the garden. And Satan, does God really say, you're not going to die? No, 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 no. If you try it, you're going to be like God. You're going to get these special abilities. It's going to be awesome. Man, what a day that was. Changed the world for eternity. 
You know why? Because Adam and Eve were deceived. Are you deceived right now? Is there anything going on in your life where you've been deceived? You haven't been open. You've justified it and you've said, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. Everybody has some kind of issue. I want to challenge you. If there's things going on in your life that nobody knows about, you pull somebody aside before you leave. And you say, let me get open. I need help. You say, why? Because I don't want any of us to leave deceived. And the scary thing about being deceived is you will never have enough insight into your own heart that you'll figure it out. You have to have somebody helping you from the outside. Let no one deceive you by empty words. You go, yeah, but they wrote a bestseller book. So a lot of people agree with me. You know, first of all, the number one all-time bestseller is the Bible. It's the one you're holding. Secondly, I don't care if a million or a billion people agree with somebody. If it disagrees with God's word, it's just empty words. You've got to be hard line. I want to close out with one more thought, and that is, you know, right about this time you could be thinking, well, okay, so we're saved by grace, but why do we got to do all this stuff? Why do we got to do so much? You know, do, 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 do. It's like there's just so many things. We come to church and here's three more things now I got to do. Now we're saved by grace. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at two quick verses. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8 and 9. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Love that verse. Not because of anything that we did. And this grace was given us before the beginning of time. The message is consistent. We're saved by grace. You go, but yeah, well, how do I reconcile? This is the same guy that says this, that's saying, cleanse yourself, set apart yourself. Don't do this. You need to obey this. This is improper to live this way. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Be a living sacrifice. Same guy said, no, you're saved by grace, not by anything you did. You go, how do I reconcile this? We're going to look at one last verse, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. You see, we're, we're saved by grace. But what's the role of grace? Grace changes the answer to why we do what we do. Grace doesn't erase the expectation to live as a holy person. Grace changes the reason why you live as a holy person. 
You know, because we can grow up feeling like I've always had to perform and I've got to perform and I've got to be successful or nobody's going to like me. And now I'm finally connected with grace. And it's so awesome because I can get rid of performance. Yeah, you can get rid of performance, but you still need to do all the things you're supposed to do. Why? Because you want to. Not because you have to. You see, that's what grace does. It doesn't change what we do or the expectation. It changes the why. And so when you grab hold of grace, you got all the motivation you need. Because nobody has to make you do anything. Because you want to. Because you want to have noble purposes. You want to be attentive. You want to have proper obedience and you want to be available. Say, so what's, what's your challenge? You know, holiness makes a difference. Holiness allows us to say, God, I'm all yours. And that's where we want to be every day as we live our life. Whatever challenge is yours, repent. If there's stuff in your life that, that you haven't repented of, What's going on there? Pull somebody aside before you leave. Do not say, I'll, I'll do it tonight. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm busy. No, no, no. Pull them aside. Get it out. Get help. I'm all yours. God created each one of us to be holy and blameless. He has things for you and you alone to accomplish. Let's not be the big firefighting airplane given rides up to San Francisco. Let's do the job that we alone are called to do. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song. Amen. Well, thanks so much.